Welcome to Ag Future presented by Alltech. Join us from the 2022 Alltech One Conference as we explore opportunities within agri-food, business, and beyond. People, plants, food, health, the environment, all connected in some way or another, and paying close attention to those connections is our guest for this episode in the Alltech Ag Future podcast series. I'm Tom Martin, and with me is David Montgomery, a MacArthur Fellow and Professor of Geomorphology at the University of Washington. He is an internationally recognized geologist who studies the effects of geological processes on ecological systems and human societies. His work has been featured in documentary films, on network and cable news, and on a wide variety of TV and radio programs, among them NOVA, PBS NewsHour, Fox & Friends, and NPR's All Things Considered. David is the co-author, with his wife Anne, of The Hidden Half of Nature, The Microbial Roots of Life and Health, a book that examines our tangled relationship with the microbial world through the lens of agriculture and medicine. Their latest collaboration, What Your Food Ate, How to Heal the Land and Reclaim Your Health, explores connections between soil health and human health. David's here to help us sort out our tangled relationship with microbes, plants, food, health, and the environment. Welcome to Ag Future, David. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, David, you have dirt on your hands. In fact, um, you have literally written the book on the subject. It's titled Dirt. Tell us about that thing that is most vital to life, soil. You know, I'm a geologist, and so by training, I was thought, taught to look past the soil to the rocks underneath. But in the last 15 years, I've really come around to seeing that soil is one of our most valuable uh, and least valued resources planetarily. I mean, we rely on fertile soil to feed ourselves. Civilization after civilization has been built on fertile land. And the societies in the past that have degraded their land to the point that it impacted their agricultural productivity, those are the ones that did not last. And so it's, you know, we've been writing about soil and its importance for civilization health, and now looking at the health of us as individuals. Um, it's something we should all pay a lot more attention to and uh, care more about, because just like we have health, and for good or bad, the soil can be healthy or unhealthy as well. And we don't, most of us don't take, you know, don't think about it that way. We tend to take soil for granted and treat it like dirt. Uh, you know, there's a great Kentuckian, the poet and the writer Wendell Berry. Oh, yeah. Who has commented many times that when we when we scrape away topsoil, we're actually scraping away millennium of, of development there. Um, I don't think we do appreciate what's at loss when we do that. Yeah, when you think about how long it takes nature to form fertile soil, um, you know, you're talking centuries to millennia to form an inch, a simple inch. And when you look at how fast topsoils can erode under conventional agricultural practices, uh, tillage for primarily, because that accelerates erosion by water or by wind, we can lose that same inch in decades. And that imbalance, something that we can lose in decades, but it takes centuries to rebuild, is something that means that, you know, we're losing it slowly but surely. And that's been the story of society after society around the world. Um, but we don't have to do that. We can actually turn it around and rebuild healthy fertile soils and do it remarkably fast. It just takes a different style and way of farming. I think we think of it as inanimate, but isn't it what's in that soil and to the point what lives in that soil that determines not only the health of the medium that plants grow in, but also our own human health? 
Uh, yeah, and the health of our crops and the health of our livestock. There, you can trace connections from soil life and its its uh, abundance uh, the, and the community composition of it, its health, if you will, uh, right on through to human health. And that's what we do in in What Your Food Ate, the new book. Um, and it turns out that you know the life in the soil, the whole subterranean ecological system of microbes, bacteria, and fungi, and worms, and little arthropods, and all that life in the soil is really important for cycling nutrients, getting them out of the mineral particles that are in rocks and getting them into the crops so that they can get into our livestock and into us. And that life in the soil also has a long history of partnerships, of symbiotic relationships with plants that we kind of neglected and forgot about in our modernization of agriculture in the 20th century. We, we paid a lot of attention to physics and chemistry, which are, of course, are very important in terms of soil health, uh, soil fertility and, and crop production. But biology is the part that is now coming back into the forefront of thinking about, well, how do we not only maintain you know, high crop yields today, but how do we keep doing it into the future? Because the simple story is that our, our conventional mix of agricultural practices today uh, has been degrading land for a long time, and we've been using agrochemicals to sort of cover that up and compensate for it. But to maintain it over the long run, biology is really the, so the basis for a solid foundation for sustainable agriculture. How would you define regenerative agriculture, and how does it compare to traditional and organic farming? Yeah, there's a lot of arguments today about how we should define what's labeled today as regenerative agriculture. I consider it uh, farming practices that build and enhance the fertility of the soil as a consequence of farming. And I like that simple definition primarily because in looking back at the history of past societies in, in writing dirt, the, the, the common element in terms of societies that, that went out of business, shall we say, is that they degraded their land through their farming practices. Uh, and we can't afford to do that at a global scale today. So we need to regenerate soil fertility, rebuild soil fertility. And, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it. When you take the definition I just offered, it's a fairly broad tent, broad umbrella kind of a, a, a view of it. Um, in relation to conventional and organic farming, uh, you know, there's ways to do both regeneratively, but to do conventional farming regeneratively, one has to, you know, so greatly reduce the, the reliance on uh, agrochemical inputs and synthetic fertilizers as to be moving really close to organic farming. And what organic farming needs to do to go regenerative is to disturb the soil less and do less tillage. So there's sort of multiple paths, in my view, for getting to, to regenerative, but they're both dependent on prioritizing building the health of the soil, which means that um, there's particular ways of doing things that can that would work in those two different systems. And the combination of practices that appears to work really well is to minimize disturbance of the soil, um, to... Uh, keep living plants growing in the soil at all times, so that translates into cover crops, uh, and to grow a diversity of crops. So not simple two crop rotations, but one can get that diversity in either through the cash crops or through cover crops. So there's, there's different ways to get at that same idea of trying to build soil fertility uh, and build soil health as a consequence of farming. But when you look at it at that simple a level, it would be a real sea change if that was sort of the underlying objective in agriculture, as opposed to maximizing yields over the short term, which is where we've pretty much gone for the last 80 years. And why is that diversity of crops important? Yeah, so when you think about those those three practices, the, the minimized disturbance is important because if you're if you're plowing up mycorrhizal fungi, for example, you're breaking their connections and their little hyphae that actually are central.
critical to getting nutrients delivered from the soil into the plants. If you look at cover crops, they're essential for essentially feeding that microbial community for um, uh, exuding carbon-based substances into the soil that those microbes eat and rely on and provide benefits to the plants in return. And that third piece, the diversity. I like to think of in terms of, you know, how functional would a baseball team be if it was made of all catchers or all pitchers, right? It's just not going to do the same thing as a team that a fully outfitted team of all-stars could do, for example. Uh, and when you look at soil life, it's kind of similar. Different plants will exude different compounds to recruit different microbes. Um, and a community of microbes in the soil can actually do more for the next crop or, or sequences of crops for building health. They work better as a team. So it's the diversity really comes in in terms of uh, a diverse suite of plants growing above ground is going to be reflected in a diverse suite of organisms below ground. And that minimally disturbed, well-fed diversity of soil microorganisms is the recipe that seems to work for suppressing pathogens, for enhancing the benefits that flow to crops, maintaining yields with lower inputs. Um, and so that's, that simple combination can work really well. There's opportunities to enhance that through intelligently man managed livestock grazing, for example. Um, but it's just not the way we've ten tended to do it and tended to teach it for the last hundred years. Well, what can the regenerative approach to farming do to support efforts to deal with climate change? Well, you know, the regenerative farms that I've visited around the world that have been very successful um, at rebuilding the health and fertility of their soils and, and what my wife did to our garden at home in turning it into a very fertile land is all reflected in the color of the soil, going from sort of a, a degraded khaki color with very little organic matter to a rich, dark or black color. And that difference is due to carbon being integrated in soil organic matter and that building up in the soil. And that carbon was all came from the atmosphere. I mean, there, you know, there was a, there's a very, very powerful way to take carbon from the atmosphere and sequester it, if only for the short term, depending on where it goes. And that's known as photosynthesis. Plants grab carbon from the atmosphere, build biomass out of them, and eventually some of that gets into the soil and the darkening of soil under regenerative agriculture can basically keep that carbon in the ground for long, you know, put more of it in the ground than had been there before. Now, much of it will cycle. It doesn't necessarily stay there all the time. Um, but if you have more of it coming in and less of it going out, you can build it up. To, and that's what's reflected in the darkening colors of regenerative agriculture. There's lots of arguments today about how much carbon could be put in the world's cropland soils as a result of regenerative agriculture. And I think the jury's out still in terms of the number that one might point to is, oh, it's gonna, you could do this much. Um, there's a lot of variables involved, and the answer is probably not the same depending on where you are in the world, and sort of integrating that all up becomes horribly complex. But the short answer is a lot. Um, you know, you could probably on the order of maybe a offset, maybe a quarter of the world's fossil fuel emissions fairly reasonably if a lot of farmers adopted these regenerative practices. Um, and that may not sound like solving the climate problem, and it won't at those kind of numbers, but it's a big down payment on doing so. And so I think that what we might want to focus on in addition to the carbon going into soils are all the other benefits that can flow from increasing the carbon in soils and increasing soil organic matter. We can maintain the productivity of our land. We can enhance the water storage capacity of our soils and the ability of water to infiltrate, to sink down into the soil and so not to run off over the surface. That translates into crop resilience to droughts and climate change. And the latest thing that we talk about in What Your Food Ate, the new book, is looking at what increased soil organic matter and soil health can do to the nutritional quality of food. And it turns, we did a, a 
bit of a study around the U.S. comparing regenerative farms to conventional farms. Uh, and we found that they, not only could the soil organic matter content be, you know, on average roughly doubled in the uppermost part of, in the topsoil, um, but it also affected the nutritional profile of foods, increasing the mineral um, uh, composition of certain micronutrients in certain crops, uh, but also increasing the vitamin content, uh, in, again, in certain crops. Uh, and almost across the board, increasing the phytochemical content. And what are phytochemicals? Those are plant-made compounds, literally what the name uh, says. But those are things um, uh, that have anti-inflammatory, antioxidant effects when they then get into our body and our microbiome in our gut di you know, helps us digest them and their metabolites, what they turn those compounds into, have demonstrated medical effects in terms of reducing many of the root causes of what we now know of as an epidemic of modern chronic diseases. So there's a lot of ancillary benefits to improving the health of our soil, uh, one of which, and a very important one of which, is the climate connection. Um, but there's a lot of other ones that go along with it. Drought is becoming severe in many parts of the world, including the American West. Um, how can soil be made to resist a loss of moisture? Well, there are two ways to make soils uh, resist loss of moisture. One is to get moisture in the ground, more moisture in the ground in the first place. And the other is to, to essentially keep it there. Um, and both, you know, regenerative farming can help with both in the sense that if we're tilling land regularly, if we're plowing it all the time, you're breaking up the structure of the soil. And if you think of soil as having conduits through which the rain that falls on the surface sinks down into the ground to get to the roots of plants, well, what happens when you break up those moisture highways? You create a crust at the surface. And so I've been in many fields that... Um, are so crusty after just a little bit of a rain. It's kind of like if you take a bag of flour and put it out in the rain, what happens? Well, the flour at the bottom of that bag doesn't get wet. The stuff at the top crusts over, and then it's essentially water would run off over the top of that. And soil is very similar once it's been powdered by tillage. So regenerative farming can get more water down into the soil. And if you always have the land, the sand surface covered with a mulch, it's better at keeping soil, uh, keeping the moisture in the soil. Um, so. There's uh, figures that, if I can remember them properly, that for about every 1% increase in soil organic matter, you can store, you know, like 20,000 acre feet of water um, uh, in an acre uh, for that increase. Uh, so organic matter-rich soil, healthier, more fertile soil, can essentially recruit more water, can capture more water is a better way to put it from the from precipitation, but it can also keep it there better in ways that it actually gets to the crop. And that's what translates into crop resilience to drought. And you touched earlier on carbon capture, sequestration. What advances are being made in the science of pulling carbon from the atmosphere and returning it to the soil? Uh, well, the, you know, the that combination of principles, if you combine no-till with cover crops and a diversity of crops, it's a pretty good recipe for feeding the microbes in the soil whose dead bodies then become the soil organic matter that can turn a khaki color into a rich, dark chocolate color. Um, and there's, there's lots of ways to do that in terms of the specific practices, but those general principles of minimizing disturbance, keeping living plants growing in them, and recruiting a, a diversity of microbes, which means growing a diversity of crops, is a recipe that's proven and seems to work pretty well. So it's not enough to just go no-till. Um, the studies are kind of, you know, one way or the other, it can increase or decrease soil organic matter depending on your, your the location. Cover crops tend to help increase it, but where people have found the biggest increases are if you do all three together. And that makes a lot of sense because that's essentially how you 
uh, cultivate a beneficial community of microbes in the soil. And if you're basically harvesting their bodies to build the soil organic matter, you want a thriving, abundant community of life in the soil. Um, so there's different ways to do that. Uh, it's very, there's a lot of arguments over how to measure it and how to actually, you know, and how to think about how much to keep there for how long. And, and there's plenty of arguments still about that. But I think we, we've, we kind of know the broad outlines of what we might think of as a new farming system that could help build soil organic matter to the extent possible in different areas. And in Growing a Revolution, a book that I wrote between The Hidden Half of Nature and What Your Food Ate, I visited farmers around the world who, who shared their methods for building soil organic matter that were very different in Ghana from Costa Rica or, or the United States, but they all followed those three simple principles I mentioned. Can regenerative farming in a farming community uh, make a difference to that community's local economy? You know, that was one of the big questions that I went into writing uh, the last couple books on. Um, and, you know, the the what I found was uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the longer answer is um, what I found is that the farms that had been very successful at rebuilding their soil at cultivating uh, fertile soil and, and putting a lot of organic matter back into it, had been able to greatly reduce their use of, of synthetic fertilizers. Why? Because they didn't need so much of them. They greatly reduced their use of pesticides. Why? Because they didn't need so much of them. And they burned less diesel. Why? Well, if they're not plowing, if no-till is that first piece of the puzzle, um, then they were driving tractors across their fields roughly half the time. And if you translate that into you know, the actual operating costs of a farm, those three things, fertilizer, pesticides, and diesel, are three of the big ticket items for you know, farm, modern farms in the developed world. And so if one can basically, um, by rebuilding the fertility of the soil and do it as a productive farm and cut down your input costs, if you're harvesting the same amount or comparable amounts and you're spending less to do it, it's a recipe for a better bottom line for the farmer. And that's what started to turn me into an optimist on the issue of whether we could really turn around the state of the world as farmland soils because a system that works for farmers is one that may itself be sustainable in terms of agricultural economies. And, you know, I've driven, you know, visited a lot of farms across North America in the last 10 years thinking about these issues and writing about them. And there's an awful lot of small towns with boarded up uh, main streets. Um, and it's kind of a side effect of going from small farms to really big farms. And one of the things that regenerative agriculture can do is help make smaller farms more profitable. Of course, it can make large farms more profitable as well. But there's, you know, there's different methods of technologies and equipment that one needs based on that. But I view farming practices that can rebuild the health and fertility of the land as actually a very solid foundation for trying to sort of rebuild and enhance the economic situation of rural regions, not just in the developed world, but all around the world. We're very busy creatures, we humans, and it seems to make sense to at least once in a while slow down and, and think about that. Think about how we fit into the whole food chain picture. Do you find that as a rule, we don't do that as often as we ought to, if ever? Yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, many of us in the Western world think about food as something we grab out of the grocery store, uh, and that's sort. Of, we don't sort of trace it back to thinking about how it was grown, where it was grown, what it means for the people who are growing it along the chain. And yet, one of the things that has really come into great uh, uh, focus for me in writing what your food ate was how much how we grow our food actually ends up mattering to our own individual health. And I think that may actually help 
us as individuals put more focus on thinking about the path that our food take took from from field farm to fork in thinking about that and because the, the kinds of things that we've been able to um, uh, see that farming practices can influence are things like the mineral micronutrient content of our food, uh, the vitamin content, the, the, the phytochemical content, the, the polyphenols, the, the, the antioxidants and anti-inflammatories and fruits and vegetables in particular, but also in even things like grains. Um, and, and also in, in terms of the fat composition of our meat and dairy products. It turns out that it matters what our food ate for what is in that food and what that then does when it gets into our bodies. And it's, it's less about really sort of preventing infectious diseases. I mean, modern medicine has become really good at preventing infectious diseases. The recent pandemic aside, that's sort of a, a whole different story. But if you look at the, what the kind of um, disease profile in the Western world and how it's evolved over the last half century, we've pretty much got uh, um, infectious diseases under reasonable control unless there's a pandemic. Um, but the epidemic of chronic diseases has just exploded since we adopted modern agricultural techniques after the Second World War. And there's, there's a number of probable causes for that. One is, you know, what we're choosing to eat, how we're processing our food. But Anne and I have become convinced based on the research we did for What Your Food Ate and the, and the bit of data and the studies that we've sort of conducted along the way, that there's another piece of that. And that's how our food is raised, how our food is grown, and that we should really all be caring about what our food ate, um, which for crops is how we fertilize it, how we grow it for our livestock. It's what they're eating and how it was grown. Um, and in the book, we try and trace the scientific connections between each step along the way for how the way we treat the land affects the soil health, how soil health affects crop health, how crop health affects animal health, and how the latter two directly or indirectly affect human health. And, you know, the connections are complex. There's a lot that goes into our own individual health. There's our genes, our, you know, our genetics. There's whether or not we get any exercise. There's what we choose to eat. And there's also, I think, how our food was raised. All right. That is David Montgomery, MacArthur Fellow, Professor of Geomorphology at the University of Washington and co-author with wife Anne of What Your Food Ate, How to Heal the Land and Reclaim Your Health. Thank you, David. Great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk. And for the Ag Future Podcast, I'm Tom Martin. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>